This is SLAS Technology Podcast. I'm David Pector. So today on SLAS Technology Podcast, we're joined by two researchers to talk about their review of low-cost 3D bioprinters, the state of the market, and observed future trends. We would like to welcome Professor Roman Voronoff of New Jersey Institute of Technology, where he's an associate professor in the Department of Chemical and Materials Engineering with a joint appointment in the Department of Biomedical Engineering. His laboratory has two major research directions, computer-driven tissue engineering and blood systems biology. We're also joined by Anne Tong, a PhD candidate in chemical engineering at NJIT, where she's working in Dr. Varnoff's lab on automated lab-on-a-chip cell culturing technology. Welcome to SLAS Technology Podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. I'm sitting right next to my 3D printer here, so this is a topic which resonates for me. Maybe you could take us through the review article. Uh, Sure, I'll be be glad to do that. Uh, So basically, the the way that this started is I asked my students to give me you know, a table of the different models of printers that are out there. And then there were so many of them that we got overwhelmed and we started building lots of tables, lots of figures, calling all these companies and learning about all of them. And I decided that, you know, there are probably other people out there who might be having the same problems. And I decided to kind of put this into a paper. Mm-hmm. So what this paper does is it gives, um, it covers the three main technologies used by low-cost uh, 3D printers. And it also compares them to the high-cost 3D printers. So we kind of broke them up into what's considered to be affordable by most labs. And then there are some high-end machines. So we wanted to kind of compare them and contrast them and just introduce the reader to the technologies and also to the the companies that make these 3D printers. So as I was kind of, um, you know, talking to these companies and making orders, I realized that a lot of these companies are new on the market and you know they might look good on paper uh, but then when you try to order something it takes like a year to get it to you and then it looks like it's just like nuts and bolts that they put there together in their garage so you know you have to kind of be careful with your ordering decisions so we we tried to also profile the companies um, you know for people who are interested in purchasing a machine yeah i mean it's it it's, it really it covers a lot of ground. It's almost like a buyer's guide in one from one point of view and also a snapshot of the um, area. So yeah. maybe- and also uh, it's, at the end, towards the end, we kind of discuss what we find to be the trends and like where the technologies are going. So many people are familiar as I am with hobbyist type 3D printers. So what are the biggest differences uh, you think be- that there are between how the familiar fused filament printers work and these 3D bioprinters? Well, the, the, the simplest technology for the 3D bioprinters is basically the same. You have kind of a, an ink which is being pushed out. So in the, in the fused filament, you're talking about melting plastic. In bioprinters, typically it's a gel which contains cells. That's what we call a bioink. And so there's there's going to be some kind of a pump pushing this out, but it's basically the same concept. Okay. Um, 
so that's that's the extrusion, what we call micro extrusion technology. Um, then there's a, quite a different one, which is a light based technology. And in this case, what you're doing is you're kind of you're taking a liquid which also contains cells or, or like a gel that contains cells, and then you cross-link this to solidify the structure. And then you can wash away the stuff which was not solidified, and this leaves you with a 3D print. And then there's a third technology, which is a micro droplet technology. And this one is kind of less, less common, less popular. And it's basically the same technology as like your inkjet printer, your basic inkjet, inkjet printer. It just makes droplets, basically. I see. So I didn't see any discussion of software. So I guess there's no equivalent to what goes on in um, in 3D printing slicing. There's no, you're pretty much, you're just directing the printer, print here, print here. I mean, how do you, how do you program these things? You, I'm just curious, this is, this is just my personal. Uh, so, no, no, no. So you basically, you do have this, the same exact slicing there as with regular 3D printers. And some companies will use the like open source slicers and then other companies will have their own software that okay. they program. So it okay. just depends on the company. I see. I and see. we also we also kind of talk in the paper that we we expect that there's going to be more of an open source community where you have these blueprints for building your own printers, as well as the free software. So are BioInks very much dedicated to a specific uh, instrument, or is that the kind of thing that is like filaments? You know, there's a there's an ecosystem, if you will. Is that something that's coming or um, still not there yet? Um, a lot a lot of these bioinks are like they will have their own bioink that comes with a printer, but then you can also make your own. I mean, like a, a bio a simplest bioprinter it basically uses a syringe as a nozzle, and you can fill the syringe with anything you want. Okay. okay. All right. So a lot of people develop their own bioinks, or or they can buy some kind of a standard bioink. But right now, I feel like the applications are mostly for research. So most of the people are probably going to be, unless they're working in the hospital or something where they want a standardized model. If it's a researcher, they're probably going to be developing their own bioink. I see. Okay. And they make these bioinks respond to light and to chemicals and to temperature, like all kinds of stuff. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's very seems like a very dynamic field. I mean, there's just so many ideas, so many different things being explored. Yeah, it's a very dynamic field and like some of these companies, it's basically like students who their professor asked them to buy a, a bioprinter and they thought they could make a better one themselves. And that's how the company began. Okay, uh, Okay. well, that's not a bad way to, you know, there, then there's survival of the fittest, you know, whatever. And in, so... Um, that's, but right right that's, now, it's still like the Wild West. Yes. You know? Okay. So that brings me to my next question, which is, this seems like a very dynamic technology. What do you think it will look like in five years? All right. So, so I mean, what we think, what one cool thing that we observed is that the 3D printers are becoming, uh, they're beginning to use modular print heads, which means that you can like take one off and replace it with a different one. So they have like different types of print heads. Some of them will like uh, heat use, uh, they will have a heater, for example. Some of them might cool the ink down. Some of them might use lights to cross-link the ink. So there's a lot of different options with print heads. And it used to be that like, you know, you have a machine and you're kind of stuck with the print heads that right. it comes with. 
And right, right. now it's kind of trending towards where you can take the print heads off and put a new one on. And this gives you a lot of flexibility and it basically turns your one tool into a bunch of different tools. And then there's even one company that we discussed in our paper where um, in addition to these bio bioprinting print heads, they also have like a laser where you can etch stuff or a drill. So like your your machine basically can do like it's like a CNC machine and a bioprinter and one and one. <laughs> and you can put a camera on it, like you can put all kinds of stuff on it. So that's one thing. I mean, the other thing that we're kind of uh, thinking is that, you know, as the printers are becoming cheaper, the technologies like light-based printers, which are kind of more expensive right now, like the cheap ones are going to be the extrusion. So the light-based printers are more expensive. And we, we think that, uh, you know, as the, as the, as the technology become cheaper, the light-based will kind of trickle down to the, to the cheaper printers as these uh, high-end printers embrace more complicated technologies like microfluidics, for example. Um, so some, some, I, don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with microfluidics, uh, but uh, some, some of the high-end printers are kind of using microfluidics in their print heads also. And you describe that in, yeah, in the yeah. paper. That is very interesting. I think that was the company that, that said they were, didn't use a bioink because they were just pretty much depositing cells it was fascinating. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Anne, uh, is it is it the the one that kind of looks like a like a pen? Remember the micro microfluidic pen like? Yes. Uh, like in that three printer, like you can deposit one cell at a time at the, like and you will be basically layers the cell on top of the substrate to make the three D model. Yeah. So they're doing interesting things with. Um, with uh, microfluidics and this one like the way the way i can kind of describe so somebody can visualize what it does if you imagine a fountain that's kind of um you know water coming up and then it comes down and it has this like tip at the top of the fountain so imagine that this tip is like the the tip of a pen well the mic the the print head is kind of like it reminds me of a pen right pen also has ink coming out of it right so there's a there's this fluid tip which delivers one cell at a time to like any location that you want except that the fountain is pointing upward and this is pointing downward but they're still able to suck the liquid back um so it's kind of like has a similar shape to a fountain yeah. how is this going to fit and how is this going to explode say even this whole area that's been occupied say by organoids is this complementary? Is this like take it to the next level? Well, I mean, the, the, the ultimate goal, I think, of bioprinting is to print, you know, 3D organs and things, tissues. So it should go beyond even organoids, right, when it really gets there. Um, right right now, you can, what it does is it allows you to position things. So you can print something that's like shaped like a heart, for example, made out of heart cells. Um, but but the, real, the real trick is in the biology still. Um, you know, you need to make that heart, you know, like conduct electricity and to contract and to pump blood. So all of that stuff. So just placing things into order is not enough. There's still a lot of biology that needs to be worked out. But the, these, what these printers also, I mean, they automate a lot of the experiments and they also bring standardization to, to the biology and bioengineering, a field which is very difficult to standardize. Right, because everybody is going to be there's a lot of user kind of um, art going into their experiments, 
Whereas this, you can just kind of program it and it will create, you know, your tissue model or your tissue sample. And for, for, especially for hospital clinical research, this is mm -hmm. very important to, to standardize things. So I feel like at this point, it's, they're more used for that type of thing, just like creating maybe like, um, you know, tissue models for drug, drug development, uh, maybe toxicology screening, things like that. Um, but the ultimate goal is to actually print, you know, living hearts or, you know, wow. hands or okay. <laughs> eyes, <laughs> okay. liver, any organ. Yeah. Well, let me just mention one one kind of futuristic thing about it that they're actually doing, trying to do now. They're trying to three D three D bioprint inside of a living body. So they're they're using light based printing. So, for example, they can inject some kind of a gel into your body and then try to cross-link it inside of your body. And there's, there's like, for example, if you have a wound or something, they can 3D print into your wound to kind of close it up. But th this is a really, like, futuristic applications, I think. It's still, but it's coming, you know, the future is closer than we think. So maybe you could each tell us about your own research and how this is adjacent to your own research? Yeah, so, I mean, our, our research is, we're in the same lab, so we're doing the same thing. Uh, our research, we're trying to kind of combine the 3D, sort of like the idea of 3D printing and microfluidics. Um, but basically what we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to um, make a scaffold, which is like a supporting structure for artificial tissue, right? For, for cells to, to grow and deposit stuff. And the scaffold contains little microfluidic nozzles. So it's kind of like you're able to do 3D printing inside of the growing artificial tissue. And so, so we, we can deliver cells to any location in this artificial tissue. And, but we can also do something that 3D printers cannot do. 3D printers can do additive manufacturing, which means adding stuff. Um, in our case, we can also uh, remove stuff. So we can reverse the pressure and we can take stuff out. Like if you have some kind of undesired overgrowth or if you're trying to take a sample without killing your, your culture, you can take a micro sample from different locations like a little probe and then take those cells out using microfluidic channels from the artificial tissue and then study them you know, outside of your actual tissue. So you don't have to sacrifice the tissue. Hmm. So it's, wow. it's, it's, it's kind of like a blend of, um, you know, 3D printing and tissue engineering. I see. A lot of capabilities there. It's really interesting stuff. Yeah. And like 3D printers, they, they, can, they can put stuff into place. But like once they did that, they're done. Whereas in our case, we can keep modifying the tissue as it's, as it's developing. Okay. And you could also sample it. Yeah. monitoring and then take those cells offline for whatever exactly. kind of analysis exactly. that you want yeah. to do. Because right now to, a lot a big problem is uh, you know sacrificial analysis. You have to kill the entire sample just to get a single time point. Uh, whereas this, in this case you can sample and keep keep growing the culture and keep keep culturing it. Right, right. So and Anne is my wonderful students who makes all my crazy ideas come true in the lab. That's good. okay. Then that you can't let her finish. See, that's <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just we just talked about that today. We should, PhD, we should delay her right? graduation because yeah. she's so good. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. That's that's a great thing. 